Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 186. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. This week we have a guest who's a Protestant, but he and his wife also have the most unique parenting strategy you'll ever see. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to a father of nine, Jonathan Harris. I try never to do this, but the Biden economy has this apostolate against the ropes. Virtually everything used to keep this apostolate in business is crushing me. Up to now, when the apostolate hasn't generated enough revenue to cover expenses, I paid for it out of pocket. That's no longer an option because our personal income is only about $2,000 per month and we're being crushed. 
I realize that this economy is hurting you too, but most of you have more disposable income than we do. I need your help because we're having to choose which essentials we can afford on a month-by-month basis. There are two ways you can help. In the show notes of each episode at cantankerouscatholic.com, there are a list of links under headings Earn Money Online, Courses and Tools, Health and Wellness, Trading and Investing, Podcasting, and Miscellaneous. These links are to products and services that may interest you, and I get a commission if you purchase them. As always, I won't recommend anything I believe is shady, and to the best of my knowledge, you can trust these links. The other way you can help is by clicking on the link that says help keep the Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate alive. You can make a one-time gift, but you'll also have the option of making yours a monthly gift. Please make it a monthly gift if you can. Food shortages are already becoming apparent, and rolling blackouts are coming soon. We're elderly and ill. We need help, and I thank you in advance for your generosity. Before we get to Jonathan Harris, I want to remind you that on August 3rd, we'll launch the new segment called The Sacred Heart Wins. This is a new segment where Bishop Joseph Strickland will answer questions asked by you six-pack warriors. I didn't ask Bishop Strickland to begin doing this segment. He asked me if he could do it. His Excellency views you six-pack warriors as highly engaged and devout Catholics. That's why he chose you to ask questions. His Excellency and I had a recent conversation about how we were going to handle the questions. Bishop Strickland is a good bishop, but he's also human, so I was afraid he'd want to cherry-pick the softball questions. I told him there are a lot of good questions that I have so far, but that some of them are angry or tough. I advised him against cherry-picking questions. He replied that we're representing the Sacred Heart of Jesus in this segment, so the laity deserve answers to all their questions, even the angry and tough ones. So if you have questions you want to hear Bishop Strickland answer, just send them to me in an email at joe@cantankerouscatholic.com at or go to the Reach Joe page at cantankerouscatholic.com. It may take time to get to some of them, but Bishop Strickland will answer each and every one of them for you. Now let's get back to Jonathan Harris. Jonathan and Renee Harris are the parents of six boys and three girls. They've homeschooled all their kids, and because of the Harris's approach to parenting, these kids are not only happy and well-balanced, but even from an early age, they made great contributions to the family and their own futures. Rather than dole out money in the form of allowances, which I've never believed in anyway, Jonathan and Renee began identifying and developing their kids' interests and helped them to turn those interests into entrepreneurial pursuits that began earning them money even while living at home. And those who've grown and left home now have lucrative careers and businesses. 
Jonathan and Renee have over 20 years of experience homeschooling their kids while running an online handcrafted skincare business. When their eldest son turned 12, it became clear to them they didn't want their children to just fill up buckets of knowledge for each school grade. They experimented with making their son's traditional study materials support the development of a marketable talent that made sense to his strengths, abilities, and unique drive. By the time he graduated from high school, he already had his own aerial drone business and was able to fully support himself financially. I've seen some of his work, and it's easy to understand why he's in demand, especially among realtors. Jonathan and Renee have since graduated four more of their nine children to create their own unique paths through careful guidance of talent development. Over the past 12 years, they fine-tuned and developed a strategy dubbed Parent Their Passion. The strategy is used to create a compelling and irresistible unique portfolio of the value of a child's talent. They now coach other parents through the step-by-step method that can be used with any child of any type personality. And they're passionate about it. Listen to a short clip from their website. We are Jonathan and Renee Harris from Parent Their Passion, and we are here today to teach you how to awaken your passion. By the time you are done with this course, you are going to have something very clear actionable, something that you'll be proud to say out loud that will be uniquely yours. You are going to be able to take something that might just be an interest right now and then develop it into something that's actually going to bring value to other people. And you are going to be known as that person who. So whatever that is, we're going to develop that through this course. You're going to need some paper and a pen. Every now and then you might need to pull in somebody else in your family to kind of help Um, uncover some other ideas that you may not have thought of. But by the time you're done, you're going to have an example of something that you can actually bring value to other people using a passion or an interest that you have right now. And we're going to teach you to be able to do this in a way that you can get started within seven days easily. I mean, it's possible that you could start the next day, but no more than seven days, you should be up and going and getting feedback immediately. So this is really what's exciting about this this method that we're going to teach you. So there's a lot of other ways you could do it, but a lot of them take a long time. You have to wait to maybe sometimes you get a driver's license or you have to pour months into it or buy an expensive course that might be hard to persuade mom and dad. This eliminates all of those problems and gets you started right away with something very exciting. And I promise you that by the time you're done with this, you're going to actually have an idea that when you go to your parents or a sibling or an aunt or uncle, they're going to be excited and say, yes, do that. We would love to see that because that also helps us out too. But that's the secret. That's going to come into step four at the end. And before that, we've got three other steps to accomplish first. All right, let's get started. Renee couldn't be with us today, but I did manage to have an enjoyable interview with Jonathan. Let's listen. Jonathan Harris, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic. We're glad to have you here today. How are you, buddy? Good, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Jonathan, let's dig right in because I don't know about you. I'm running a hot clock today. Uh, Jonathan, six-pack warriors don't have any idea who you are, but I really think they should get to know you. I certainly enjoyed our uh, pre-interview chat, and 
so I think especially the dads listening need to get to know you. So let's start with you introducing yourself and telling Six Pack Warriors what it is you do. Yeah, I am a father, and I'm fifty year, 55 years old now, and I have to check with my wife constantly to find out what age I am. And uh, we have, uh, my wife and I, we have nine children together, and uh, we, um, years ago, we started, well, actually, right from the beginning, we started homeschooling our kids, and uh, five of them are now out of the house, living on their own, so 18 and up, we have five out of the house, one is married. And they're all working, and, and um, God is blessing them, and we're enjoying to see the fruit of that labor that we've put into them. And we still have four at home. So we're still um, very heavily involved in the education of our kids. And um, and we live in a part of Northern California, about three to four hours north of Sacramento or San Francisco, if you want to see on the map, one of the last uh, metro Metro is barely a word, correct word to use, but city before you leave California and going into the um, Oregon. So we're in the upper part of Northern California. So you're up in that pretty part of California, yeah, part. the my favorite part. Yeah, I mean i I love uh, Northern California, the redwoods and the and and the trees and the hill. I just I just love it up there. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been up there, but the Pacific Northwest is one of the more exciting places in America. Jonathan, your approach to parenting is the most innovative and successful approach I've ever seen. Tell us the backstory to this. In other words, what motivated you to turn your kids into responsible young people through what is essentially entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home, so I will give credit to to uh, my parents and, and, of course, the Christian community that we grew up in. So we're heavily influenced, of course, by this idea of everything being submitted to God. And um, <laughs> but the rubber meets the road is what does that mean exactly, you know, in terms of all these different spheres of life? And when it comes to education, I feel and my wife does feel, feels the same way that we both had a a, a good education by traditional standards. And I don't think we um, chafed under it. So, or, so we had a good experience. So we don't have a, um, a background of, you know, oppression or bullying or feeling any of those kind of things. So we had kind of a golden childhood as far as that's concerned, but it felt like in the big scheme and the big Christian scheme of thing, it felt like much ado about nothing. So we're, we just remember being involved in so many educational uh, programs and courses and classes, but it seemed in the end to have not as much impact as you would think it would. So I wanted to uh, have this whole concept of education serve much more my child in terms of developing talent or their potential in life. And I think in the abstract, we're all behind that as parents, but when you get down to what does that mean from day to day? What does that mean in terms of choosing courses or giving freedom or restrictions to your kids. And that's, that's the part that we really focused in on. I think our, our spiritual motto, if you were to, you know, pull back and say, it's, it's kind of like the, in the gospel of uh, St. Matthew, the parable of the talents, our, our approach is more that whatever, whatever a child is born with in terms of maybe natural abilities or physical abilities, and also, you know, in the context of a stable home, et cetera, et cetera, or disabilities, those are sort of like the equivalent of the talents that you're given, given when you start off life. 
But when you look at Jesus, he doesn't really focus in too much on that. He acknowledges that people start off in different uh, positions in life, but he's really more focused on the idea of multiplying whatever assets, gifts, and strengths that you have. And so that's how we that's how we look at it with our children. It's like we don't see it as a static a situation where we're just sort of observing our child from moment to moment. It's like, okay, aha, he's meant to be a, a violin player. Aha, he's he's doomed. <laughs> he's doomed to be a video game player because that's what he likes doing right now. We don't see it that way. We see it as, okay, they do have some assets. They do have some strengths, potentially some weaknesses. But what can we do to get them to multiply? So it's a production-oriented mindset to multiply what they have now so that it's uh, in the parable, the talent, it goes from what uh, the one's given one, one talent, the other one's given two talents and one of them's given five talents. And, and, uh, and of course in that parable, which is ironic, we, I think we correctly interpret it as Christians that the talent is any kind of advantage or, or asset uh, that we're given. But of course, in the story itself, a talent is money, you know, it's, it's You're right. money. And, uh, <laughs> and there was quite a bit of money too. So, but would Jesus seem really interested? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know one has two, one, one has two, one has five. You know, that's typically where we get focused in as parents. It's like, oh, my goodness, my child is this or that. But really, he's interested in the multiplying of it. And that's our approach and our mindset is how can we multiply whatever God has uh, given to our children, either because of their you know family circumstances or their natural abilities, etc. How can we multiply what they have? So that's our mindset, even with regards to education. Yeah, you know, uh, my poor father did not have a clue. He wanted and attempted to do what you've done with your children and what you teach other parents to do. But every time I made the mistake of saying out loud what I was interested in or what I wanted to do, my whole life was suddenly planned out for me. (laughs) So, you know, I, and of course, a kid's going to reject that. And consequently, whatever dad wanted me to do then after that, that was exactly what I did not want to do. And I, uh, uh, I really, I really passed up some good career choices along the way because of that. But parents need to go about this the right way. And they, and that's, that's why I wanted to talk to you on the show this week. You, uh, I am so impressed with what you do. Uh, tell the six pack warriors, especially the dads, why they should follow your methods. The method of what we dub parent their passion is one, one, one of the main reasons. And that's actually what originally started us with homeschooling. So we were in that mindset is bonding with your kids. I think one, one of the things is that when you really, um, have a conversation, not just a conversation, you're actually coaching your kids, you're actively involved in trying to understand what their education is about. And it's in the process of trying to to wrestle with that and figure that out. I think you you bond with your children in a way because I have, I have um, obviously, like I said, nine kids, I swear each one of those kids are very different from each other. And obviously, if someone from the outside is going to say, well, I can spot, uh, you know, there's a family resemblance between them as far as, you know, some uh, family customs and so forth, but between the kids, they really are, they really are different. And I think that for me as a dad, I think it's been a big pleasure in, um, 
understanding them in their own unique way. And so I think the bonding part is really important. I, I remember that most, the way I grew up as far as education and, and my peers and so forth, education is like a separate entity that doesn't really tap into your uniqueness or uh, into your talents per se. You're all on this treadmill to fill up these buckets of, of knowledge um, that, that are really determined by society at large. So you're kind of moving on an average, right? It doesn't recognize that people are uniquely gifted or uniquely situated in, in their position in life to do something uh, exciting and interesting. So I think that's the difference. Um, I know that in the very, very early days before we had made a, a strong decision to homeschool and actually before our kids were, were actually of school age, we attended a a informal panel by some local homeschoolers. And of course, back in those days, uh, it wasn't as popular as, as it is now. And on that panel was, I think six, there were probably six couples, completely different walks of life. I think two of them were university professors. One was a truck driver and his wife. Uh, another one might've been a chiropractor. I mean, it was from trades person to very educated academic, and they all had their own reasons why they had pulled their kids out of public school to homeschool. And some were academic reasons, some were for bullying reasons, some were feeling, felt like their child was not challenged enough. But in the end, all of them said, I think the panel asked them, well, what was the most unusual thing about homeschooling that came about? And they, every single one of them said they were astonished at how much bonding they had with their children uh, while they're still under their roof. And they did not, I mean, of course they wanted that, but they did not expect that level of love of love and trust to develop between them. And I think they most of them attributed to the fact that um, the love of learning and, and understanding the world around them was an ongoing conversation with their children instead of something privileged between the child and some paid teacher. So because if not, you're as a parent, you're there more to entertain them and take them on vacation, but you're never really having those discussions because – it's compartmentalized. You're not part of that world. And so by bringing it back inside right. the home, you have those natural conversations that uh, that develop, which is what you want actually between adults, right? Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I tend to think that uh, all parents, if they're in a situation where they can, and I think most can be, even though they think they can't, I think all parents should homeschool and you've pretty much uh defined why the catholic church says that uh education of the children is the parents responsibility not the school not the parish priest not the uh uh religious education director or anyone like that the parents it's the parents who need to educate their children and and you know you talk about this bond uh, and this growth and love and trust, that is part of what the Catholic church says. Yeah, this is, you know, this is why it's so important. Yeah. You know, I want, uh, I want to add to that because I think that, uh, now those, you know, those who have already experienced, uh, or experimented with homeschooling or some variation of it, I think they obviously they're, they understand that they're in the trenches, but a lot of times people on the outside think that, I'm the math expert or I'm the history expert and so forth. And so they think, well, I couldn't do all those things all wrapped into one person. That's not the way to look at it. 
the better way to use a, a modern term is, is like a coaching idea or a mentor idea. So you can pick and choose mentors and, and uh, virtual tutors and online courses and sta- actually even standard textbook type courses or, but you're, you're having that conversation with your child. And, and a lot of times I love as a father, especially when they hit their teens, they'll, they'll say that I don't quite understand, you know, what they're trying to say here. And I'll say, you know, I don't really quite understand either. Maybe you should dig into that. And uh, I'd love to hear what your answer is. And or other times <laughs> I do, I, I say, well, that smells like uh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you know, I'll give my but the point is, is that I'm teaching them in that way to to be master of their education because you're interacting with the material. Sometimes you can get on a treadmill and uh you, you're, you're heavily involved in a curriculum and so forth, but, but you're not really understanding why am I spending so much time with this? Could I do, could I choose better material, easier material sometimes, or do I just need to grit through that? And sometimes that's where the dads, uh, especially with teens come in to the picture because you can either give them that, you know, that's okay. You just got to drop and give me 10. You got to keep going, you know? Uh, and <laughs> indeed, other times you say, you know what, this is really a, not a good course. Let's have the courage to cut this off and go get something else because you're you're having this conversation with them and say and trying to understand where they're going. You don't always know as a parent because do I really want him to take advanced calculus at 12 or maybe I do want him to take advanced calculus at 12, but you're never having that conversation as to why. So you don't need to be the expert. You're more helping them navigate what it means to uh, project in the future. You have a life experience that your child doesn't have, and that's the way to view it. So you're always the expert in that sense of the word, because you understand the social context that you're in to decide to take a risk with a with a curriculum or a mentor or an activity, and you're helping them interpret that. You know, I I gather from what you are saying, or I have gathered from what you were saying that both in the homeschooling and this uh, uh, this parenting aspect of, of developing the child's talents and interests, you're really teaching your kids how to think, which is something that is not done in public or private school anymore. And teaching a child how to think, I mean, most of the American public have no idea how to think logic and right reason. And, and I applaud you for that. That's a very important aspect of life. Uh, okay. You've got nine kids, Jonathan, tell the six pack warriors about the successes you've had with your own kids, as well as the challenges you faced. Well, the challenges are when you get your child, lit up on understanding that they're on a journey to multiply these talents, right? They're like the three little pigs. Uh, they've got their they've got their <laughs> talents in their little knapsack and they start going. And of course you're, they can get really excited. So we, so if you don't have something going for them like this, then you, you, you do get um, people, you know, teenagers can get either depressed. That's one aspect of it, you know, kind of that sullenness. And I, I think that's related to the frustration of, uh, they need to produce and create something. And that's where you can see this in some kids. They're frustrated and they're angry, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Or the other the other extreme, they're all over the place. There's no focus. They're, they're just consuming like crazy, consuming, consuming knowledge. 
they're being fed, but they're never uh, learning how to feed other people with their talents and, and skills. And so you can have these both extremes. But once you light them up and say, okay, I've got something that's mine and I'm going to bring it to the world ever so small as it is now in my teens. Uh, one of the dangers or challenges, I, want to, I don't want to say danger because it makes it sound like it's, it's really bad. But one of the challenges is that they want to go places and do things that sometimes might be just a little bit out of their, of their reach, uh, either because it's too dangerous socially or... Um, there are a lot of financial consequences that they make the wrong mistake. So you do feel as a parent that you, you have to be there as a coach, right? So you, you, you it's right. like teaching your kid, Hey, I, w- I want a mountain climb and they get excited. And all of a sudden they're owning the, you know, the, the cliff and they're going. And then the next thing you know, they will say, I want to do <laughs> ice climbing or whatever. And you're like, okay, I, I applaud that, but you're not at that level yet. That's going to be certain death. And so you have to, uh, that's a good problem to have, but sometimes it's like, okay, this is great. This is what I wanted as a dad. It's what I wanted. But uh, uh, especially for teenage boys, uh, right. that is, uh, uh, that's, that's both their, their power. They are ready to go. So I think when you light them up and you see them go, um, sometimes as a dad, you do feel like you have to squash some ideas and you're thinking, well, it's not a bad idea in itself, but you just don't have that level of skill and maturity that you think you do. So you have to kind of um, <laughs> scare them straight a little bit. It's like, okay, oh yeah, you'll be there, but you're not quite there yet. Okay. You've had some real success with your kids. Uh, I guess two of them are in, in kind of in the process, aren't they? Yeah. So uh, um, the two youngest. Yeah. So I have, well, I have a 24 year old, a 22-year-old, uh, two 20-year-olds, so twins, a girl and boy, one a girl's married, and uh, an 18-year-old. So they're all out of the home and working and pursuing. My daughter is the only one that's not really making a living off of the talent that she developed. And right now she's happily married. She's enjoying that phase in her life right now. So she's still continuing her talent, but she's not really putting it out there in the marketplace. She's got other things on her mind right now. Uh, but the boys definitely are. Uh, they they are they are they are big time into it. And one of the things that we encourage our kids to do is that if you can develop something that has marketable value, so it's not just mom and dad saying, "Oh, this is pretty and beautiful." Other people outside of the family are saying, "You know what? This is helpful enough to us or valuable enough to us that we're willing to part some of our money." So that's the the, the there you pass. go. Because when you hit 18 and you leave home, you, a lot of times you go into panic mode because you've invested, if, if you have been, you've been investing all this time in building some kind of uh, worthwhile talent. But then if you're not, if you haven't had a chance to bring it to market, it's usually not modified enough to serve other people in a genuine way. So then you panic, you know, you and you correctly have to do take those double jobs working at uh, In-N-Out Burger here. <laughs> Here in Northern California, I mean, you have to do that, right? And and then you you you, you panic, so you take a you go to college uh, because you don't know what else to do, and you start accumulating degree that doesn't really quite match up with your original dreams. So you get this built-in frustration that people go down. It's because they didn't have enough liftoff um, leaving home to say, you know what? Instead of using a, a choosing a barista job, I could actually continue making money with my my uh, momentum. And keep building so you don't lose that compounding effect. 
So I think that's really important from a strategic point of view. You need to have your kid test the market in, in, in small ways in the beginning to see, can you make money? Because the act of wrestling with that to see how can I bring my talent to other people, which is really an act of service because people don't normally want uh, your straight cooking or your music without some kind of modification, right? It has to be in the proper context, proper equipment, proper timing, et cetera, et cetera. And that stuff does not get really assimilated into your talent until you start trying to bring um, bring value to people. So we, we encourage them to do that as soon as possible. Well, you know, the one thing I want to keep driving home to our listeners is these adult children of yours, uh, you help them to develop their talents and their interests while they were under your roof so that they, uh, uh, they have careers that they created on their own. Correct. Yes. Yeah. You need that critical mass. Um, it's, it's interesting because they'll weave in and out. I mean, um, like we have one child, I'm thinking of my second born right now who was really into bladesmithing and in his teens, he was actually selling real knives and he was on professional bladesmith forms. I mean, he was an up and rising star in, in that world. He's one of the youngest. And uh, at some point he decided to pivot into the machine world, the CNC machining world. He loves that. So it's, a, it's, it's still stacking on top of his original interest. He, he understands metals. He loves the stuff. Um, so, but then he became, he wanted to, he worked for two different places um uh one was a upscale bladesmith no um high-end knife making place uh for custom custom knives uh, as an employee for a short time and he picked up a lot of information there and then he went on to a cnc shop also as an employee and i think he was there two years while he was there he decided to start his own side business for a cnc shop so he had that confidence and that's one of those things that once they understand how to how to acquire more knowledge and more skills in a unified way, they on their own have this boldness that I did not have at that age. This is what we wanted for our kids. They are taking far more what appears to be risk, but in a, and in a way, it's it's not risky because they understand w- what it means to make decisions, potentially have failure, but do it in a calculated way so that they're not blowing themselves completely out of the market. So that's that's what my son did. He bought a machine. He saved 50% of his income. He was really focused because he had heard uh, uh, the horror stories, the war stories of people uh, much more old, <laughs> much older than him. And he already had experience in what it takes to uh, deliver value to other people from a financial perspective, expectations perspective, communications perspective. So now he's already in his first year. He's had this as a side um a moonlighting business, which is basically two jobs, full-time jobs. And that allowed him to pivot again, uh, to choose a desk job during the day that had to do more with the engineering design of things um, separate from the actual machining. So so he has both of those things going. And that's the mindset you want for your child is if you start early enough, it will actually be hard to define exactly what their career is simply because they're spilling over into other categories. And that's almost the ideal because mm-hmm. if, if your child's career is too defined with a label, most of the time that career is saturated with people, way ahead of you, full of degrees and so forth. So if you can find something that 
is sort of a crossover, and that typically means that's where the market is 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 moving and changing. That's a big advantage. So my tip to parents is don't over worry about the label. Uh, worry more about is he starting to deliver value because in that process he will he will get the labels that he needs and he will not have a fear to cross over. So he doesn't go in thinking, oh, I'm this. He's thinking I'm delivering value. What do I need to do to get to the next level? And it may or may not involve a title. You coach other parents on how to do this too. Yes. I was looking at your website. You've got a course, which is, uh, essentially, uh, an hour long workshop recording. I assume yeah, it's a workshop. workshop. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Frankly, I was shocked at the price on that. I'm, uh, six pack warriors. You better jump on this. Cause I'm going to give him some information. You need to raise your price. <laughs> I was surprised how inexpensive it is. This whole concept of developing your child. I'm going to share with the listeners something that I shared with you initially, whenever we started talking about this modern parents overwhelmingly. Well, that's a question. I want to get back to that question in a minute. When I was a kid, I was the only boy in my neighborhood, the only boy who didn't get an allowance. And my father was the kind of man that, you know, that's, you, you didn't necessarily ask why, uh, but it was getting to where it was an embarrassing situation for me. You know, the other kids were making fun of me. So one day I asked dad, if I could have an allowance. And he said, no. And he said it in such a way that I knew better, better than to ask why a few days later, he seemed to be in a good mood. So I thought I'd risk flying across the room. And I asked dad again, if I could have an allowance, he said, no. And then I asked him why. Then I braced myself. Uh, but dad just turned around looked at me and he said, son, does anybody pay your mother to cook your meals or to keep the house clean? I said, no, sir. He said, does anybody pay me to keep the cars running, to keep the house up, to keep the lawn mowed? I said, no, sir. He said, then why on earth should we pay you to do your family responsibility of keeping your room clean and carry out the garbage? Well, even to a 10-year-old kid, that was logical. There was no arguing with that. And I think what you have done is, in a way, what Dad was trying to do. He wanted me to know how to stand on my own two feet. He wanted me to know how to make my own way. And I can't count the number of sidewalks I shoveled in the winter or yards I raked in the fall. Uh, for a quarter, <laughs> I mean, back in those days, that was pretty good change, but because of that, by the time I graduated high school, I had learned, he told me that if I wanted to make, uh, if I wanted money, I needed to make my own. And so I did, I went out and did what I had to do and I learned how to save a buck. And by the time I graduated high school in 1975, 
I had $10,000 in my savings account that I put there. That's impressive. He didn't put it there. I that's put it there. That's impressive because that's a lot of money back then. Discounting inflation. Yes, it was. And I bought my own cars too. I mean, you know, they had to be in dad's name, but because of the law, but I paid for them. It was me who did it. And so I thank my father for not giving me an allowance. And that leads to the next question, actually one that I skipped a little while ago. Modern parents overwhelmingly want to be buddies to the kids instead of parents. What changes do parents need to make in themselves in order to make uh, uh, what you teach work? Yeah, the buddy, the buddy issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of a it's it's kind of a false dichotomy, I think, in the people who do make, make mistakes with that. And typically, you can spot your friends or parent other parents who do that, who are too much in the into that buddy mentality, and, and it backfires on them. So, ironically, even though they may want to be that sort of buddy, um, they don't actually get the buddy respect back, which, which is interesting. Right. So. It's, it's the old thing, you know, you want it so bad, you don't get it. You know? <laughs> and uh, the parents who do, and without getting into the details, those parents, you say, you know, they're doing a great job. They, you'll find that they typically, they do assert their parental authority, but neither are they uh, overbearing. And um, you say, wow, those are good, good parents. And, and that's what it is. They understand their role as a parent. They're not their peer. So a peer would normally not challenge you on some stuff. They don't have the authority in the first place. And peers don't have the life experience because they're the same age as their kids. So it's a different kind of relationship. But as a parent, uh, you, you do. First of all, it's a it's a godly role. So you can't escape that obligation from God's perspective, even, the, even if you wanted to. You could say, well, I can just be buddies with them. Well, if you go back to God, he's like, that's not God's opinion. You know, you're there. <laughs> so you do have to play that role of instruction. Uh, and we're told, you know, by that when we do, we're not supposed to provoke our children to wrath, right? So that's the other side of the equation that we're, we're given. That's why the Bible is so full of wisdom. The apostles gave that to us. You know, it's revelation. It's like, yes, you need to be in charge of your children. We're constantly told that. But at the same time, we're warned, uh, among many other things, it's like uh, that also means that when you're in charge of your children, don't push them so hard that you're provoking them to wrath. That's a warning. And there's other warnings about husband, uh, husbands and wives, you know, all that stuff. But those are those are important um, things to take in, into into consideration when you're raising your children. You still play that role. And I, I'll admit that every once in a while it's like, oh, great. Now I have to go and dampen my, you know, this particular child's enthusiasm because, yeah, they are crossing the line in this area. And now I have to be the bad guy. Um, I don't particularly enjoy it uh, when it comes down to who does relations, right? So it is um, the burden of uh, authority, and hopefully, if you're right. doing it right, it's not frequent. I mean, that's the idea, right? So, ironically, the ones who are buddies, if they do too much of that, you'll see them explode in wrath, and because they can't take it anymore, right? You're oh, we're buddy, 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 and you're you know you're buying off your kids with uh, the equivalent of candy um, to get them to do what they should do. And then that backfires on you because you, as a parent, can't take it after a while. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh, I'm, right, because you know, it's too much. That's the whole point. You let it grow to that point where it explodes. So ironically, I think if you stay away from the buddy mentality, 
um, your relationship with your, ch- with your child will actually be more of a friendship relationship as, as a, as a uh, byproduct of that. So you will have those conversations. I, I think that's important too. If your child is creating and becoming his own person and what, that's what you want them to be, you know, right when you leave home, you don't want them, you don't want to get the phone call from your daughter or your son saying, dad, I wish you had taught me. That's embarrassing. You want them to be strong. You want them to have a sense of confidence, um, uh, a prayer life, and so forth. You, you're teaching them all these things. So you want them uh, to, to uh, achieve that. And so you're having conversations with them. And typically, it's not you. Your life experience of mine is 55. I don't go against my 16-year-old boy and say, you know, why don't you know all these things? I'm 55. Well, it took me 55 years to get to where I am. But I am talking about in that I'm thinking of my 16 year old in my mind right now. He's full of enthusiasm. He's podcast editing. He's going back into voice acting again. He's doing some some commercial work. And, you know, we've we've had conversations. We've even bumped into the situation where he had somebody approach him with some material that may not. <laughs> that's a that's a point of discussion there may not be appropriate. Right. There's that gray line. There's that gray line, you know. And so I say, well, you know, tell me more about it. And and we're having a discussion. We So you get into this discussion. It's like, well, I have non-Christian friends who, who cuss a lot and everything. And that's true. And it's like, you know, you're not their parents, so you can't stop them. And that's part of life is being a Christian, being in the world, but not of the world. And you have to work that out. Amen. And, and so we'll have a conversation. Well, as long as you're not copying them, uh, then I know you understand, you know, you can handle that. And if you start copying them, then we have another conversation. And, 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 you know, my wife's like, well, I don't know. He, he, he dropped this little bomb word in there. Uh, if I work with him on another aspect, not where I'm promoting it, what are we doing here as Christians? And so we're having, I'm having that conversation with him because it's a specific situation that he's excited about. And he's trying to act out in a way, my faith, like I do in the workplace, I I'm in the workplace too. Well, not now because that's my wife. <laughs> but as far as like with my colleagues, right, I had bosses sometimes that, you know, weren't the easiest people to work with, colleagues, you know, all this stuff. And I'm trying to navigate that. And and it's work from a Christian point. You have to like pray about it. You have to like do it. You know, how do I delicately bring this? I'm not their boss. I'm not their mom and dad. And so there are, there are principles at work. And it's the same with my child. He's in a specific context that's his own. I don't know everything. So I have to have this conversation with him. And he's persuading me. He's like, well, dad, in this case, this is what I do. I'm like, actually, that's that's a good way to handle. Other times, like, you know what? I just stay away from that. That's just too much for you to handle right now. But my goal for him is to grow. So we're having these conversations. I'm not just coming with my 55 years of experience. And we have something to talk about that he's building up. So I'm trying to get him. I want him. I want him to succeed in that arena without compromising himself. I don't want him to give up. I don't want him to run away. I, I want him to 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 act strongly in that area. But there's there are there are uh, Christian principles that have to be worked out in that context. So I'm bringing my 55 years of experience more as a counselor and a coach, which I'm not afraid to exercise my authority if it goes too far. But I'm actually trying to help him understand, and I'm trying to understand too. It's like, well, is that what I tell myself in my workplace if I had a boss that uh, made inappropriate uh, uh, jokes? Uh, I'm not participating in it. Do I confront him? Do I, what, what, what exactly do I do? You know? And so we have the conversations <laughs> and that's where that bonding comes, comes across. 
Other times, and I hope, you know, dads will be really encouraged by this, and I have to remind myself, other times there are situations that are a conundrum. And that's it. Right. Let's pray about that. And, <laughs> and I have to say, it's not a cop-out. <laughs> I get it's like, we got to pray about this. And I'll be surprised sometimes how there'll be a week or two later, we've forgotten that we even prayed about it. And some, what I would consider an answer to prayer, it's an, it's, it's an interpretation of what happened. And I'm like, it's got to be God working on these things because we bothered to even put that before him. It's like, okay, we got the situation. What do we do? Uh, and I'm not talking about outright immoral situations where, you know, you're asked to rob a bank. You know, the answer is no, you don't need to pray about that. But it's more, it's more wisdom situations. How do you handle Right. And prayer is, um, um, it's not even, I mean, it's not even a strategy. That's an overall Christian thing because there are sometimes with regards to the t- talent development, my kids, they are pushing the boundaries as far as how far they can go because of their age and so forth. And sometimes, you know, I don't know, should we, should we, you know, should I put my, my son in that situation? Can he handle it? I don't know. No one else is doing it. And uh, maybe, but maybe I'm, I don't have enough faith. Maybe I, we should be taking advantage. I don't know the answer. So we pray about it. And, and, and that's where you have to put that back in God's hands. I would like to say that every day I'm full of like power and enthusiasm. This is, I really don't know sometimes. So prayer is a big ingredient uh, as a Christian. Um, I can't imagine uh, pushing the boundaries as much as I do with uh, with my kids without the prayer aspect. Um I mean, I think you can you can push the boundaries, but there's always that other aspect of the character development. So faith is a really big part of what you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I mean, I believe that what I do, do does matter from the spiritual perspective. I think that if I thought it only mattered from a purely career perspective for my kids, um, it would be harder to be as enthusiastic. Uh, because it would be hard to see with the long term. It would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to invest all my time, and I and I do think that parents can fall into that because they're hearing that from the world around them. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter what you invest in your kids. It's all they're all going to stab you in the back in the end, in the middle of the night. And you know, with that kind of uh, with that kind of feedback, it kind of like, why am I investing so hard? <laughs> that can discourage you. You know, you gotta like, okay, all right, where is that? Where is that? Uh, is that wisdom from God? First of all, and you're like, no, that doesn't sound like right. God tell us, right? I mean, that's where you need right. overall. You don't need to look up a particular. I mean, you should, but it, you don't. Is that something? Does that smell <laughs> like something coming from God? You're like, no, it does not. So you need to to okay, where is this coming from? Um, and then and then have hope and faith that what you do, we don't always know what it means as far as the outcome, and we're aware as Christians too that. There's always this uh, potential of, of uh, from a human perspective, of things apparently failing when they're not doing the right thing. But we're always told that that's not actually so from a spiritual perspective. So there is a, a certain amount of trepidation um, that things don't always turn out the way you think it will. Right. You know, you frequently hear people say, children aren't born you know whenever they come into the world they don't bring an instruction manual with them and that's one of the most false ridiculous things i've ever heard because the instruction manual is already here it's called scripture and i'm 
I especially think the the place that a parent should start is in Ephesians, which uh, you paraphrased earlier. Regarding this parental buddy stuff, um, what I observe, of course, I haven't had to do the parenting thing for many decades, but what I observe is parents wanting to be buddies and they don't get the respect from their children that they should be getting. They don't uh, get the obedience from their children they should be expecting. And they won't discipline their children. And I tell listeners all the time, discipline your kids now. Because if you don't discipline them now, a criminal court judge will do it for you later. And start using that manual, Six-Pack Warriors. It's called the Bible. Uh, Start in the book of Ephesians and constantly go through uh, the Gospels, because there are thousands of lessons in the Gospels for parents, literally. It just depends on your perspective when you're reading, what you're reading to get out of it. One final thing, Jonathan, I want to go back to the price of your course, your your workshop. Yeah, let me name it here. Uh, let me call it, it's called Find Your Passion Early. Find your passion early, and it's the the course you're referring to, the workshop, the one-hour workshop, is addressed directly to the team. So the ideal ages uh, is 12 to 16, so that's who we're addressing. Of course, you can be a little bit older and a little bit younger, but that's a sweet spot, ages 12 to 16. One, you got you got enough you know, independence going and drive, um, but you're not like close to graduating where you have no more room to maneuver. So 12 to 16 to, to listen to this course is, could be life impacting. And it's addressed directly to, to, to the teenager. And we walk you through a series of four exercises. And, and the goal of these four exercises, by the end, you have an actionable statement to get start doing something that makes sense to you, you know, your own uniqueness. And, and capabilities, but it also makes sense to the people around you, right? So, so many times you hear people, I got this thing going, but it's it doesn't make sense to my family or to my financial situation. You don't want to do that. I mean, sometimes it can be done, but at what cost? You don't want that. So this is like finding something that makes sense, but also makes sense to your family and your situation. And that's going to give you that liftoff. You don't, you, and that's the, basically the secret ingredients is a lot of times you can get what you want if you understand that your your family or at least your social situation is an asset for you to leverage off of. You're not cloning yourself as a teen. You're not you're not going to be exactly what your dad is, but rather you're you're you you see what your father has or your family has or your your social circle, even your church is like these are assets to me. Not something like, oh, there's gold laying on the table. I'm just going to ignore that. And- and and walk away from it. That, that's dumb. I mean, you've got five talents, and all you're seeing is one talent. I'm telling you, you've got five talents. Why do you want to leave home with one one talent? You know, uh, you've got way more, and that's what we're showing the team. And that's twenty seven dollars right now. Um, that's how it's priced right now. And that's a self paced course. You watch some videos. You go through the exercises, and uh, we kind of give you the the raw essence of it. Um, you can get way more sophisticated than that, but. 
if you follow through on this, it's going to make sense. Like within two weeks, you should be coming up with something within two weeks. You're starting to act on it and you're going to get, you're going to get feedback very quickly from the people around you. And Jonathan, 27 bucks is way undervalued. I think you should uh, raise that price, but not until after this episode airs because (laughs) I want the six pack warriors to be able to take advantage of it. You also have a couple of other courses too, don't you? Yeah, I have one that's uh, uh, much beefier, and that one is addressed to the parent and the older teen if they want to do that, but kind of giving you that strategy um, a little more sophisticated as to how you as a parent can guide this whole process. So it's meant, again, you're not trying to replicate what I did exactly, but I'm showing you breaking it out step-by-step how you can find your thing uh, within your environment that's going to really have your child take off. So that's a, a little bit beefier and I forget the price point right now. And there's some coaching involved. Uh, we'll give you some personal feedback and what you come up with. Uh, and that's also on the parentthepassion.com website. And under courses, you'll see that workshop we just talked about a direct dressed directly to the team. And then the, the beefier one is going to be um, um, a full on course addressed to the parents and the older team. So obviously if you have a precocious 12-year-old um, that wants to go in there, no problem, of course, but that, just, that was just the way it was addressed. Also, if you go to my website, right on the main page, Parent Their Passion, you put your email in, right away you'll get a self-discovery worksheet uh, that you can do on your own. You're going to get so much, so much value right there for free. It's accessible right away, and it walks you through um, several lists, and uh, you're going to come up with an action statement. So you can get a taste of that for yourself. And you will get an email newsletter where every few days you're going to get some really amazing tip, uh, examples. Uh, sometimes we use our kids in there and we're dredging up some old videos from the early days. It's like, oh, my goodness, we forgot we had this and we can use it again <laughs> and it looks so cute. And, uh, um, and it's encouraging for me, by the way, parents. And that's one of the, the things that we teach is document, have your kid document along the way. That's part um that's part of the more sophisticated approach because one of the things when you document, you remember, especially if your child gets discouraged or you get discouraged, you look back, it's like, oh my goodness, the amount of amazing stuff we have done. It's so, so powerful to see that. And it's a good way to practice uh, building a portfolio. Uh, but for us, um, that has been encouraging too. Uh, of course, we're trying to tell the people. So we're digging up the old material. Do you remember when he, oh yeah, I have a picture of uh, my young son, uh, uh, practicing his voice uh, with an old recorder I had, and I happened to capture it on the phone. So that that is one good thing for parents to do is really encourage your kids to document all of it on this journey. Six-pack warriors, I want to tell you, I, I and I want to say this while I have Jonathan on here, Jonathan Harris is the very first non-Catholic who's ever been on this show. He is a Protestant, heaven help him, <laughs> but I cannot recommend what he is doing highly enough. And all of the links uh, for the things he's talking about are going to be in the show notes. You just go to cantankerouscatholic.com, click on this episode. Below the uh, uh, podcast player will be my show notes, and you'll see the links uh, that Jonathan has talked about. Jonathan, 
I really appreciate you being on the show, and I, I honestly hope we can come back and talk about some other aspects of what you do. I hope I back, really though. believe. I like talking to uh, well, good. Catholic brothers and sisters, so <laughs> I, 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 uh, it's good to challenge each other, and uh, I still run into people where they have some ideas on a topic, uh, whatever it may be, and I'm just blown away. It's like I'm just so grateful that God has given people different apostolates, um, different ideas. And, uh, it's humbling because it's like, wow, I didn't think of that. And I'm just like, Whoa, this is, this is exciting. I think if you, if you put it in your mind as a dad, that there's so many good things out there and you've got to dig it up and apply it to your family. I mean, it's just, the world's an amazing place. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff. We know that, but there's also amazingly good stuff and listen to yes, there is. like yours. I mean, this is where I got my idea, some ideas, uh, by is by listening to podcasts. It's just so powerful and dynamic to hear fresh ideas that you may not see in the mainstream, right? So you're going to have to go uh, searching for podcasts like this to to hear it straight from the horse's mouth directly from somebody who's having success. Well, I think you have managed to hit a sweet spot. You have a combination of scriptural parenting and developing things in a child that have not been traditionally thought of as needing to be developed. And you've mixed in a little capitalism along the way. And you've made your children self-sufficient. They're able to stand on their own two feet and they're patriotic Americans. So, you know, this is, I, I just think this is great. I really wish You'd been around when I was having to parent. I, I would have cashed in on this. Six-pack warriors, once again, the links are going to be in the show notes. Jonathan Harris, thank you for being on today. Uh, I've run way over the amount of time I wanted to, so let's call it a day here. Take care of yourself, my friend. God bless you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Since doing the interview, I've delved deeper into what the Harrises do, and Jonathan was kind enough to grant me access to his workshops. I'll tell you, six-pack warriors, if you're a parent or grandparent with children and grandchildren who are 12 or older, this is the best 27 bucks you've ever invested in them. You'll find the link in my show notes. If Catholics have any hope of returning the country to God, our families to God, then we need to match and surpass the intensity of the Marxists. It's impossible to turn on the news and not see another victory from the anti-family woke crowd. You cannot create any meaningful change by sitting back and just consuming podcasts and signing online petitions. Church Milton's Call to Action Convention is the blueprint for taking back the church and the culture. We've assembled a team of panelists that have unseated politicians, exposed corrupt clergymen, and saved the unborn, not to mention converted people to the one true faith. And now we are asking you to get involved. What you put into this is what you we'll get out of it. So please sign up at cmresistance.com and we'll show you exactly how you can begin to change your local community to be God-fearing, pro-family, and true to our country's values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of true happiness. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the Washington Examiner.
New Yorkers might have to share their social media history and character references to obtain a concealed carry license, according to a new gun control legislation signed into law Friday by Governor Kathy Hochul. The new law requires individuals to confirm their good moral character. The law would also implement a statewide database of ammunition sales and license records. I wonder if they've ever read the Second Amendment. No, no, no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The FBI and Metropolitan Nashville Police are investigating an attempted arson of a pro-life pregnancy center in Nashville. A smashed window and an unignited Molotov cocktail-type device was discovered inside the building at the Hope Clinic for Women around 1.40 a.m., along with the words Jane's Revenge written on the exterior wall. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Daily Wire. White House Director of the National Economic Council, Brian Dees, said in an interview with CNN that American families suffering from high gas prices need to understand it is for the future of the liberal world order. The remarks came after pretender Biden told reporters at a NATO summit that Americans should expect to suffer for as long as it takes to beat the Russians in Ukraine. No, 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 no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number number two. two. Hats off to the Daily Wire. Urologists have experienced an uptick of 900% in requests for vasectomy procedures across the country following the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. According to the New York Post, staff at medical offices told the Post that they have been stunned by the number of childless, younger men asking about the sterilizing procedure. What does that tell you about the sort of men these guys are? That makes me sad. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A Catholic school in northern Ohio sustained an estimated $1 million in damage from a fire on Thursday. The fire damaged the cafeteria and gymnasium of St. Anthony of Padua School in Lorraine, Ohio, and is currently being investigated as arson. I can't believe it! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Everyone searches the internet to solve problems or fill needs they have. For many of you, I've already done the heavy lifting. Discounting the evil things searched for online, people generally search for things that tell them how to make money online, health and wellness products, and trading and investing. Some are interested in having their own podcast. I've got your back on these things. Visit cantankerouscatholic.com. Go to the episodes page, then click on the title of this episode. Below the podcast player, you'll see my show notes. 
I've already listed products and services in various groupings. Check them out. You can help yourself and this apostolate at the same time because if you like what you see and purchase the products or services, this apostolate will get a small commission. Check out those links today. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Megan went to the doctor's office to get a new prescription for her mother's medicine. It did your mother good then, asked the doctor. Here's a new prescription, but make sure your mother has it after meals. But Megan objected, no doctor, my mom isn't any better. Too bad, replied the doctor. I wonder if I ought to change the prescription. She said it didn't make her cough any better, though she rubbed it on her chest day and night. Rubbed it on, exclaimed the doctor. No wonder she isn't any better. Didn't she read the label? It says one tablespoonful in water to be taken three times daily. No medicine is going to cure people if they don't use it properly. The same holds true of the sacraments. Grace is absolutely necessary for the salvation of your soul. Actual graces are necessary to be able to make choices that please God, and we all receive those graces every waking moment of every day. But it is sanctifying grace that heals the sin-wounded soul and makes us pleasing to God. The Holy Eucharist is the greatest of the sacraments, and it gives us an increase of sanctifying grace each time we receive Jesus in Holy Communion. However, if the soul is in a state of mortal sin, having committed any grave offense against God's laws through thought, word, deed, or failing to do something known to be right, then when communion is received, the additional mortal sin of sacrilege is committed. Jesus left his church with two sacraments of reconciliation, those sacraments that reconcile man to God for sins after baptism. They are the anointing of the sick, formerly called extreme unction, and penance, also known as confession and reconciliation. The anointing of the sick still requires confession prior to receiving it, but that isn't possible if the person receiving the anointing is unconscious. The anointing of the sick will cleanse the soul of one who is unconscious, provided that person has at least imperfect contrition. But if the sick person regains consciousness, he's obligated to make a good confession as soon as possible. It's the sacrament of penance that is the ordinary means of removing sin from the soul. Like the mother in the story, if the medicine isn't taken properly, or if it isn't taken at all, the soul won't get any better. If you want your soul to get better and pleasing to God, you must take your medicine, 
that's recourse to confession, often and properly. The medicine God gives as a cure for the soul is confession, and the label on the bottle is written by the church. The label says, to be taken at least once a month with the deliberate recalling of the patient's sins, for better health, should be taken once a week. These days, there are all sorts of cures for what ails us. Modern medicine even tries to cure what we used to call the effects of sin. There are medicines for every sort of mental and emotional disorder, and there is no end of therapeutic treatments for everything from PTSD to ADD. Modern medicine, which has the credibility of science behind it, even when it's junk science, has worked very hard, whether consciously or unconsciously, to make Christ's remedies irrelevant. I'm not saying they aren't necessarily good medicines. Fact is, most of them work pretty well for relieving anxiety. What I am saying, just like the vast majority of modern medicine, only the symptom is being treated rather than the cause. Pay attention sometime to the commercial for prescription drugs on television. They have all sorts of drugs that treat the symptoms of every conceivable disease and condition. The problem is, all those drugs have awful side effects, so the drug companies come up with new drugs to treat the side effects, the new symptoms, and they have their own set of bad side effects. It seems there is no one actually treating the cause that produces the symptoms. I've worked to evangelize more than a few people who had problems such as schizophrenia, borderline personality, substance abuse disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar, and other disorders. All these people were on medications for their problems, but it became clear pretty fast that the drugs merely treated the symptoms and weren't capable of treating the actual problem. In some cases, the problem is actually a chemical imbalance in the brain, but more often than not, the symptoms are caused by much deeper spiritual problems. Among the converts I've known over the years who suffer from these disorders and problems, it's been amazing to me how the problems have eventually gone away through the use of frequent, that is, weekly, confession. Many in the mental health profession say good effects of confession to a priest are at best a placebo and at worst superstition. Such thought demonstrates a great pride, arrogance, and atheistic attitude on the part of those professionals. Fact is, what Freud, Skinner, Maslow, Rogers, Pavlov, and other pioneers in the mental health profession tried to secularize, Jesus set up as a sacrament with a divine healing power 2,000 years ago. Just think about it. In my lifetime alone, there have been scores of mental health disorders that have come into being that never used to exist, and millions of people have been diagnosed with them. Those disorders have developed in direct proportion to the decline of the Western culture and the dechristianization of society. I'm not saying the mental health professional doesn't have his place. He most certainly does but only in more severe cases. The best cure, rather than treating just symptoms, is to have recourse to the confessional. When a priest receives the sacrament of holy orders, 
he receives the special sacramental graces that help him carry out the purpose of that sacrament. Those graces of state go to the very nature of the priesthood. One of those graces allows the priest to become a spiritual doctor of the soul. When a penitent learns to form a right conscience and daily examines his conscience to see how he's failed God throughout the day, then goes to confession with regularity and frequency to the same priest, over time the priest gets to know the soul of the penitent the way you get to know your spouse or best friend. The priest, though, gets to know the deepest, most inner part of the penitent in ways you can never know your spouse or best friend. This results in an actual cure for the penitent of the cause of the problems, not just the symptoms. We all have problems. Problems are the effects of original sin and will never escape them in this life. But if the effects are left without treatment from the medicine Jesus gave us, the sacraments, then those effects develop into major problems. So true is what I'm saying that even those among you who don't currently seek the help of mental health professionals would be diagnosed with several disorders if you did see one such professional. The ultimate cure, then, is a weekly good confession to the same priest every time. And it doesn't have to be a priest in your parish. I don't recommend priest shopping, but you need to be comfortable with whoever it is to whom you unburden your soul. The important thing is to go to weekly confession to the same priest, let him know your soul, then listen to and obey the wisdom of his counsel before he gives you absolution. Are you struggling to lose weight no matter how much you diet and exercise? Turns out it's not your fault. A 2022 study published in Nature Medicine of 52,000 women and men found just one factor in every overweight man and woman low brown epidose tissue levels. They also found in skinny people high brown epidose tissue levels. Brown epidose tissue, also known as brown fat, isn't fat at all. It's not a fat store, but a fat shrinker. Its brown color comes from its densely packed mitochondria, which works 24-7 to burn calories from your fat stores and the foods you eat into pure natural energy. Even though the brown fat makes up a fraction of your weight, it can burn up to 300 times more calories than any other cell in your body. That's the reason they created Exapure. Exapure is unlike anything you've ever tried or experienced in your life. It's the only product in the world with a proprietary blend of eight exotic nutrients and plants designed to target low brown fat levels, the newly found root cause of your unexplained weight gain. Every tiny increase in brown fat means a huge jump in calorie and fat burning and energy levels. Want to lose weight and keep it off? Go to the show notes for this episode and click on the Exapure link to find out more. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Venerable Fulton Sheen. He said, You will never be happy if your happiness depends on getting solely what you want. 
change the focus, get a new center, will what God wills, and your joy no man shall take from you. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In a certain parish, a priest was trying to get his parishioners to come back to church. He thought of a plan. One Sunday morning, he made this announcement. A distinguished person of the parish has died. The funeral will be held Wednesday at 9 o'clock. The whole parish was aroused, since no one could figure out who the prominent person was. On the day of the funeral, the church was standing room only. When the coffin was opened, the people filed past to see the remains of the distinguished person. They looked in the coffin and gasped with surprise. After the Mass, the priest said to the people, As you looked into the coffin, you saw the dead person was you. I obtained a coffin and put a mirror in it so that you could see yourself. You, my dear people, are spiritually dead, so I thought I'd bury you. It didn't take the people very long to make up their minds to go back to confession. The priest wanted to show his people that they were spiritually dead because they refused to receive the sacraments. The sacraments give sanctifying grace, which is the life of the soul. The more frequently you go to confession followed by communion, the more God's life will be increased in your soul. This is the surest way to save your soul. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 